Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. Hey, what's up? Thanks for checking out Social Jello with Angelo. Today I interviewed John Hojlo as part of my Kaju Kembo series and MMA series where we talk about mixed martial arts, martial arts, and traditional martial arts. And uh, I really hope you enjoy the discussion and uh, stay tuned for after the episode is done to catch up with some latest social jello news. Without further ado, let's get started with the show. So today we're going to talk about the value of martial arts. <laughs> does money Smooth. does money equal out better training? What qualifies as good training? And that's why I asked you to be on the show. Um, so without further ado, you don't have to have the perfect answer. This is just a starting point. But what do you think about that? Uh, I think um, the value, when it comes to money, first off, the amount of money that a coach or a martial arts instructor or a fighter is making, that money has no connection to their skill. Uh Coaches in martial arts, they should be making more money than they do. Uh, I recently read an article from a BJJ guy who just basically, it sounded like he quit. He just said, you know, fuck this. The students don't care about the work we do. We should be getting paid more money. Um, but the fact of the matter is how much money you make as a fighter or martial artist is completely based on your business acumen. It has nothing to do with your skill. Um, there are good and bad people who are skilled at business. And there are great people who offer a valuable product but do not charge a lot of money for that. Um, I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you about a little bit about my instructor, Rana Steller, when you mentioned this. And uh, other people will echo me in this. And um, I gotta tell you a little bit about my story as well. Um, I listened to uh, your last, uh, your last podcast with uh, your instructor uh mr isawira uh you mentioned like one point teaching like what he was teaching like five dollars for a lesson or something like that right yeah he, he was getting he said that when he asked how how when i asked him how much he was paying he said that his dad didn't want to spend too much money on training he was kind of you know first generation immigrant coming over here so like they, they were trying to save money all the time and if kajukembo was expensive he would have never been able to do it so yeah it was like five dollars a lesson yeah. Yeah, see, now that's awesome because a lot of the people who need martial arts cannot afford martial arts. Um, you know part of my story uh, that I started at a McDojo. I was nine years old, and I will talk nonstop shit about McDojos, and I apologize if I get carried away. I, I it's, It pisses me off. But, I mean, the thing is, like, my parents didn't know better. I didn't know better. I was a nine-year-old kid. Uh we do this funny thing as human beings. It's the first part is natural and cool. The second part is where it goes weird is the more valuable something is, the more money we charge for it. And that makes sense. You know, it's valuable pieces. It costs more to make, you get more money. Doctors study for years. So we give them lots of money in America at least. But the problem is that business people know that. So they will take a cheap product charge lots of cash for it and that tricks us into thinking it's worth something when it's not 
In, in, in martial arts, you see that with the McDojos. They charge mad cash to people who don't know better, and they get the money. Because people think, well, they charge more, it's worth more. Even outside of martial arts, uh, do you know much about the De Beers company, Diamonds? De Beers and Diamonds. I know a few different things, but what, where, where are we going with that? Well, basically, like, Adam Ruins Everything is a great summary of the Beers Company. Basically, this is not martial arts, but it's the same idea. They take these pieces of rock that are valueless. Diamonds are not worth anything. But for almost 100 years now, they've been advertising to us that they are. And now we believe diamonds are worth mad cash. Every engagement rule, the guy has to ask the woman out to, to, uh, to, ask, ask, to ask the woman to get married, has to give her a diamond ring that's worth three times his monthly salary, and then he has to get another ring for the, the wedding. All of those rules were created by the De Beers company, and that tricks us. The rock is actually valueless, but because of good business skill, we now pass over mad cash for diamonds. And McDojo's work the same way. People don't know better. They see advertisements. They don't know what a good real martial art is, and so they give a lot of cash to it. Uh, when I went to this McDojo, again, my parents didn't know better. Uh, the instructor that was there, this guy named Anthony Marks, this is a bit of my story. He was a badass. He is a badass, uh, and I love this guy, but he was not a product of this McDojo. He was kind of passing through and working there. Uh, about a year after I got there, they kicked him out. They didn't like him. Uh, and then I started getting teacher after teacher of years after years. Some were good, some were bad. None of them taught me how to fight. There was absolutely no value in the martial art that I was getting from them, but my family was paying them money. So, and I got to tell you the story because this is all these back in the value as well. Uh, 12 years old, I'm given a black belt. Can't fight for shit. A couple years later, I'm assistant teaching regularly. Can't fight for shit, but I loved teaching. I loved working with kids and adults and giving them some knowledge. So eventually, I become the head instructor. You know, by the time I'm 16, I'm the head instructor at this school. Now, if I were looking for a school, I don't know how I'd feel about a 16-year-old teaching all the classes. At the time, I was all they had. And I knew that the value was little. Uh, Eventually, one teacher came through, another another uh, wanderer came by, and he taught me Olympic-style Taekwondo. And this was the introduction to value at all. Say what you will about Taekwondo, Olympic-style was my introduction to actually trying to hit somebody and someone actually trying to hit me hard. That was my first bit of value there. Uh, I remember working with a special needs kid at our McDojo. And I taught him how to fight. I taught him Olympic style, and he started sweeping the floor with all the other kids. Finally, there was some value there. So as an instructor there, I had to find more value to make up for the money we were charging people. Uh, you know, I had a friend who went to Chinatown and took Wing Chun lessons once a month. I, he taught me some Wing Chun. I taught him some Olympic style Taekwondo. I had a friend from high school named Eddie Harris, who was the polar opposite of me. Uh, I was antisocial. He, he knew everybody. But we connected with martial arts. And he, he got back into it. He found this place called Brewer's Karate. Uh, he started teaching me some jujitsu. I taught him some uh, wushu. 
And then uh, we ran into a problem with this McDojo. Um, the schools were shutting down. This chain martial art went from 12 schools down to four. And now they didn't have the money. They didn't want to pay to support this place. So I had to find a new school to go to. Now, this can be good and bad. I, you know, I could, great, I could find a place with value. I could find a place that actually teach me some shit. And uh, I had to look around. Eventually, it came down to two schools. Um, my friend Eddie was going to Brewers. So I had to look at this place. The guy was a world champion in some tournaments. And another guy I was working with at this dojo, his name was Mike Val. He told me about this guy named Ron Esteller doing Kaiju Kembo. I, I didn't know what Kaiju Kembo was. And uh, I had to choose. And at that point, Mike Val tells me, by the way, whichever school you end up choosing, you should know a lot of our students are going to follow you. Great, you know, no pressure. So I wanted to find a good school. I went to Brewers Karate, and it was good. There was some value there. And then I went to Ron Estello's class, and it blew me away. They were hitting hard. They were doing jujitsu. They were doing kung fu forms that were 400 years old. And it felt real. This was the first time I took a class uh, that did not feel like a McDojo. It didn't feel like he was out for the money. And I signed up here. Now, this is where the value comes in. Because I love my, I love my instructor, Ron Steller. But he was a shitty businessman. He was really bad. and that's You do know he's, he's like going to hear this later. Right? <laughs> I, I know, I know. And, and, and I mean, but the thing is, that's probably why I loved him. And I still do love him for that. He, he is so much for me. He introduced so much to me. And I mean, the thing is, here's what we talk about the value. He was charging. You, you're going to Gracie Bada these days, right? Can I ask how much they're charging? Oh, yeah. <laughs> they charge a lot, man. They charge a lot. They charge about $100 mm -hmm. a month. And, um, that's, okay. that's, that's with limited days, right? Like I pay, I think I'm paying, I think I, I think I pick the 80 to it's somewhere between 80 or a hundred a month. Um, okay. and that, that allows me to come for eight lessons a month. I can't come every day and I okay. mean, and give in, I don't have time to come every day, but I, that's just like, if you want to come anytime, any, I think that price is a hundred uh, U.S. would be about $100 a month or $120 a month. allows you to come anytime, any, not any day, but according to their oper operating hours. I picked the lower okay. end. So that, that to yeah. kind of explain, yeah, to give yeah. an explanation. And, and then I think that's normal. To kind of go, yeah, and that is the kind of, it's pretty normal. Um, what's not normal is the place that my student is going to, because he, he asked me the same thing, because I can't, for those of you listening, I do train people in MMA, but I also train people that don't live in my town. I'll, I go all the way to Kobe, which is about two hours. It's a different city, a different city limit. If you're in America, it would be like saying that I was teaching classes in San Diego and Los Angeles and driving between the two. Um, so I do that. I, I go every Sunday. I go out there and train people in a different city. And one of my students out there wanted to train more every day. He tries to come out, but it's tough. It's expensive to come out even by train. So I recommended to him to go to a jiu-jitsu school. And he's like, well, I want to go to Gracie Barra, like you. And I'm like, uh, I go there because that's the closest place to me that fits my schedule. Um, that's it. That's the only reason I go there. Um, anywhere else, yeah, there's just nowhere else. That, that's why I chose it. It was, it was the only reputable school near me that yeah. I can get to. Um, you, have, you live in the city. There's more places. Look around. And he found a different place that has uh, 
that's more traditionally based. It's Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but it's ran by a guy who is Japanese, who it's a little more on the Japanese. Uh, I've, if you listen to the podcast, the difference between Japanese jiu-jitsu and Brazilian jiu-jitsu, he goes to more of the traditional Japanese jiu-jitsu. It's, it's Brazilian jiu-jitsu from a Japanese perspective. And that's really hard to, okay. to describe. Um, I go into it a little bit on that podcast I did about the history of jiu-jitsu and the differences between the Brazilian jiu-jitsu schools and the the Brazilian jiu-jitsu schools that are ran from a Japanese perspective that have mostly Japanese people there, not a lot of Brazilians. Um, but I, I recommended one of those places because it was only 30 bucks a month and he can come anytime and it's like seven days a week. So that that's why he ended up going there. But that, that kind of gives you a rundown of what kind of stuff is out there in the price range, yeah? Yeah, exactly, man. And like, and you said like a hundred bucks and he's doing 30, 30 bucks. Is great. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it is what I remember back in the States as well, man. I saw some, pla- I saw some places charging more than that. You know, I saw some places, you know, 200 bucks a month to come in regularly. I also heard about someone teaching for 30 bucks and immediately as well, people were kind of suspicious, like 30 bucks. That's it. Are you sure he's teaching something real? And then here I am with my instructor, Ron Steller. He was teaching for, this was, uh, I came to him in 1999, and he was charging $65 a month to come in regularly. This was access to high-level instructors. This was access to his instructor, who's also teaching there. Over the years, he had to raise the price, you know, went up to like 75 85 and eventually up like to 100 and he hated that. He absolutely hated having to do that. But keep in mind, like, on top of that, he... He was not raised with a silver spoon in hand, so he knew what a tough childhood was like. So on top of $65 a month, uh, he was offering scholarship programs to kids with single parents. Now, at the same time, uh, b- before he even had the school, he was teaching for free for 20 years at the boys' club. Uh, but when he had the school, police officers were training for free. They would be able to come in, so we'd have a regular Kajikembo class, and we'd end with some extra gun retention, CQC stuff. This was a lot of value and very little money. Uh, I, my teacher has always been an to me of the value of the art more than the money. You cannot let yourself be tricked by high prices. So just to clarify, you're telling me that there was, on top of the fact that you had the Kajikembo program, different instructors police officers were coming in and also teaching self-defense and, and awareness classes. Is that... Well, the police officers were taking the classes. Oh, okay, okay. They were training for With free. You. Oh, okay, you okay, know, okay. Yeah, yeah. police officers, they train for free. Um, as far as self-defense, stuff like that, that police might need, Ron also teaches at middle schools for free. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the stuff he's working at. All right. So just to clarify, he does have a just to clarify. So Ron was training police officers. That's what I. That's what I'm trying to get at. Just to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was <laughs> training police officers. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, but we do also have a guy uh, who's uh, Kajikembo has Danzenru Jujutsu. We got a seventh degree Danzenru Jujutsu black belt who is a police officer who also does come down to teach. That is also part of the program. Uh, you know, Michael uh, Mayday McDonald. The. McDonald sounds familiar, but I can't put a finger on it. He was a UFC. He was one of the champions of UFC for a little bit. Okay. Uh, well, he's married to Ron Steller's daughter, so that's why he was I saw his out. fight. I saw I saw one of his recent fights because it was posted on the on Facebook. Either way, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. And I also yeah, saw his, so, I, I saw an article about he hurt he hurt his hand. He got an injury, right? Yeah. 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 So he's taking a break from that for a while. I think he's he was talking about retirement recently, but I mean he's been coming down to run school as well. So you're getting access to people like this for really low prices. The the money does not matter. And I gotta I gotta highlight because I was a refugee. I came to him from another school. He picks up a lot of refugees. I know that he's a valuable martial artist because there was a school down the road. I'm not going to mention any names. A lot of their students came to him because they were not getting anything from their McDojo. They came to him because he, they were teach, learning how to fight there. They were learning forms in a way that actually helped them to fight. And this other school was making mad cash. They were getting lots of students and charging two or three times as much because people think a higher price, it must be more valuable. And that's not always true. Yeah. 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 How do you, um, and that we say people, and I, I love to bring in the element of us living in Japan. How do you think Japanese society views that same concept? The idea do you feel that Japanese people carry that same concept of the more you pay for something, the better it is? I think so. Uh, Japan is much more traditional, much more thoughtful, much more polite. Uh, you know, they love to, when you, some, some listeners might not know, but like when they, when Japanese people give you a gift of money, for example, it's typical to take half that money and buy a gift to give back. Yeah, you know they really care about that value of money in that. And uh, in martial arts, it's weird because on one hand, I think they work hard to. They think you should be giving more money for something. But at the same time, they're really forgiving of martial artists as an. You know, if in America, well, my boyfriend is in martial arts. Well, he must not make much money. In Japan, like, you know, he teaches judo. Oh, wow, that's great. That's amazing. This is part of Japanese culture. So at the same time, I mean, the money isn't even considered. It, it's you're part of this culture. That is way more important than any money you might be getting for it. So I guess the answer to your question, yeah, the money is important. But at the same time, they have a really big separation when it comes to Japanese culture. Yeah. I, um, I hate answering my own question, but I was... I recently opened my program, and when I opened my program, my wife said it's going to be free because that's what I said. Like, I already have my business. I already, I'm already. I hate to use the word successful, but I'm well off, we'll say. And so when I started the Kaju Kembo program, I said, you know, you can let our parents know, some of the parents from my English school, that I'm teaching Kaju Kembo if they want to bring their kids. I already have some of the parents, and I wasn't charging them anything. I was just saying, you know what? I need to start doing it so I don't get rusty as a Kaju Kembo instructor because I'm coaching mostly MMA and kickboxing. And I got that one student, but I only see him once a week. And I'm like, I kind of want to get something going here. And I had someone approach me. Yoshi asked me. <laughs> Yoshi-san is actually the one who asked me, can you teach me Kaju Kembo? And I'm like, all right, cool. Let's do that. And I don't – he's already one of my English students. Like his kids are – so I was like, you know what? You're already paying me money to teach your kid English. I just I – feel, I feel bad asking you for more money yeah you already give me money so as far as money's concerned you're good let's just come in and train and get it done so then my wife told the rest of the students like now that we're building the new facility 
And we just had our first kids class last week for with everyone. Like finally, she's she's telling everyone now. It's not just me, an agreement between me and Yoshi and a few other parents. She told everybody. So a bunch of kids came out, and before they came out, they all said, "Well, how much is going to cost?" And she's like, "Well, Angelo said it's free because you guys are all are his English students." And they said, "No, no, we can't do that. How much does it cost? You can't." And like after the class was over, like you can't do this for free like that was a great class like how could you do that and uh, we were just thinking like well how could i was thinking the opposite like how could i do that right you're already giving me money why am i asking for more mm -hmm. but yeah they they were really open like not only they, they were like shocked that i was even thinking to do it for free and now we have to come up with like a, a pricing system so i was like all right just we came up with a really cheap arrangement like you know what you come in for one lesson it's five bucks per lesson if you sign up you know we'll do 30 bucks a month how's that because i feel like if you, since I'm teaching two classes a month, if you look at it, if you look at it at the value by the end of the month, at the and the personal training aspect that they can come to the gym and work out. If you keep coming into yeah. all the classes I have available, you start coming in every day. You're gonna spend more each time you give me 500 yen for like personal training and I'm training six days a week. It's gonna be more than thirty dollars. It's gonna get way more expensive. So I was like, if you start coming here a lot, just give me thirty bucks max and. We'll call it a day. Like whichever, yeah. whichever is cheapest, either five bucks each time or once you go over 3,000 yen, don't give me more money than that. I don't want it. <laughs> like, but yeah, yeah they, man. They, they, it, was, it was pretty cool. That's great. Uh, one of my favorite terms is dojo rat. Uh, I've heard this term used for, it, it's a loving term, endearing term meant for kids who just will not leave the dojo. And the thing is because they, they love it there. You know, they're happy. Uh, you, you get this with adults as well, but especially with kids. And it's great to see because this is where the value of martial arts comes in. You're giving these kids something that they might not have otherwise. And especially the ones who cannot afford anything. You're giving them a circle. You're giving them a new family to connect with and a future. And that, is, again, coming back to value, this is something more valuable that money cannot really measure. Yeah, man. Definitely, like, there's a lot of value to that. Um, and I think... When I originally asked you the question, I kind of wanted to get at this idea of right now people seem to value MMA training, right? Quote unquote branded MMA training. Uh, going back to, I went all the way to China and I met with uh, Ramsey Dewey. Uh, going a little back to your story about Taekwondo, you know, actually, mm -hmm. and I've, I've felt this before, and even my Sifu said it, he said there's Taekwondo. There's real Taekwondo, and then there's what everybody else is doing around, around this area. <laughs> if you ever meet a guy who does Taekwondo from Korea or, J or Japan or does Taekwondo in the East Coast, those people are doing real Taekwondo. And like, That's it. and he also talked about the difference between someone who is doing Taekwondo just to have the McDojo. And this idea of some people that don't, don't, and pretty much he was trying, in a long-winded speech, he was trying to let me know that if I'm at a tournament, to not underestimate all Taekwondo guys, because that's a mistake. Some people, some of them yeah. really do know what they're, what they're doing, and if you underestimate them, you're going to end up getting knocked out by a hook kick, and you're, <laughs> you're not going to see it coming. So, so be careful. Um, and Ramsey Dewey was one of those guys. But kind of going back to the branding of MMA, like, Ramsey Dewey doesn't exactly lead foot first with, hey... I used to do Taekwondo, <laughs> or I did Taekwondo, and I, I saw it in his lessons when we were, when we were doing our stuff. He's like, okay, we're going to do some spinning hook kicks. I'm like, oh, that's the Taekwondo. That's the Taekwondo background. I can see that. <laughs> and I'm like, but it's all good. I mean, I used to, we used to cross train with other Taekwondo, real Taekwondo guys. There's some value to that, and he would talk about that. But, um, but still, like, 
because of marketing and branding, he doesn't exactly advertise that. He doesn't advertise himself as a Taekwondo. He's, he's, he, he has done MMA for a long time and he advertises himself marketing-wise as an MMA coach, which he is. I'm not knocking the way he does things. We're just going back to that idea of marketing, right? That idea of how do you market? And you were talking about how uh, Mr. Ron Esteller, is that, sh is that a... Is that professor? Is that grandmaster? What is uh, that? Grandmaster. Okay, just <laughs> gotta be careful, right? That's that's where we're going with this. So, gra so grand, so grand, yeah, I, I, he's not my sifu, so I definitely can't get away with that. <laughs> I can get away with that with my sifu, who is a professor, but I can't get away with with your sifu. But yeah, so so grandmaster is seller, as you were saying, as far as the business side, um, was was you know more focused on the work at hand, which is not which is which is a Story that I've actually been hearing. I've been listening to a lot of MMA podcasts, jujitsu podcasts, and I'm noticing even in those other styles the same trend between these people that are more focused on the work at hand. And when they're asked questions such as, "Well, how much money do you make per UFC fight?" and they were just like, "You know, I really don't. I really don't take care of that. Someone else takes care of that." Well, how? So do you know what percentage-wise? And they're like, "Well, to be honest, again, that's not my. That's not my field. I, I go in there, I train the person." <laughs> And then their manager talks to my front desk person and they, they iron that out themselves, right? And then there's the people that are like, oh, well, 20%, right? Because they're, they're more about the money, right? So like, so kind of going back to this idea yeah. of the difference between someone who's getting in this for the value of a, as an MMA fighter or the person who's doing this for the value of martial arts. Like how, would, how do you differentiate these two things? Um, again, we talked about this before. Anytime I start with that, I got to be careful. MMA is great. So don't take anything I say the wrong way. Uh, more people should do MMA. If you do karate or jiu-jitsu or aikido, you should do some MMA training, first off. Uh, the kickboxing and otherwise. Um, also, keep in mind that there are martial artists who do very well in MMA. W one of the first names I always mention is Chuck Liddell. He is a Kaiju Kembo black belt. Um, I mentioned Michael McDonald. It, my understanding is he didn't do too much of the martial arts per se, but he trained at the Last Stand, which is run by a Kaiju Kembo black belt professor. Um, the thing about value when it comes to martial arts, it's hard to really measure with fighters and MMA guys both because the value of anything is based on how well it does what it's supposed to do. So the value of the tequila that you and I drink is based on the flavor. I think I just heard half of my friends gagging as I said that. They don't like tequila as much as you and I do. But if <laughs> if I just really wanted to get drunk, I would not be buying tequila. I'd be buying spirits, you know, like 90, 98% Polish vodka. That's That's a different type of value. And I just heard the other half of my friends gagging as I said that. Uh, the, um, the value of a firefighter, how good are you at rescuing people? The value of a comedian, how good are you at making people laugh? With martial artists and fighters, it, it's, it becomes an issue to discuss this. Because as a martial artist, the value is in first being a fighter and then having the art as well. Um, there is nothing wrong with just being a fighter. There are people who do that. Uh, I, I talk a lot about Aperture, a fight focus on Facebook. They got some great videos and stuff. And a while back, they put up an interview for some guy. I forget his name. But this guy had studied all these martial arts over the years, and he said he did not want to be called a martial artist anymore. He was just a military trainer. That's it. 
he didn't care about the art part, and that's fine. That's your own issue to work on that. The problem with martial arts, and the reason a lot of MMA guys will talk shit about martial arts, is because there are people who put the value on the art first, and that's a problem. That's how we end up with the no-touch masters that are total bullshit. They forget that the roots of martial arts were to kill people in war. Luckily, we don't do that so much anymore. You know, nowadays we don't. Most of us don't live in societies where we have to fight every day. Some of us do, and martial arts has its reasons. But if you just want to learn how to kill people, just go to the military. They'll teach you much more, much more quickly, much more effectively, and you'll be legally allowed to do it. You know, uh, and that's a whole other debate to get into. But the thing is, martial artists do have that core of fighting first, of war. You learn how to hurt people so that you can avoid hurting them. You learn about injury so that you can avoid injury and heal. You learn about death so that you can enjoy your life. The core of martial art is fighting, and you have to be a fighter first. Uh, if you put your value in the art, you no longer have value as a martial artist because you need to have that fighting bit first. So the, uh, the value of a fighter, it's kind of hard to really measure um, because winning conditions of a fight are always going to change. At a competition, at a tournament, or MMA fight, whatever, it's pretty simple. Follow these rules and get more points or knock them out or choke them out first. That's it. But in real life, it's not... The, the conditions of winning are simple. Uh, in a situation where it's you and two guys with knives, it's not get more points. You know, it, So you knock them both out, and if you get stabbed, you still lose the fight. The conditions change. If you're a police officer in a, uh, in a hostage situation, the conditions to win are different. I mean, it would be nice to shoot the motherfuckers who are ruining your day, but... Your winning conditions become get the hostage out alive and get home to see your family. Let the take care of this guy. So, yeah, fighters, as a martial artist, the fight has to come first. But how do you get the value of a fighter? It's not just winning matches. It's something much deeper than that. And the martial artist tries to balance both of those. you got to be able to fight realistically. You can't rely on... Bullshito. But at the same time, you got to be something different. Uh, people should know you're different without even knowing you're a martial artist. I say that all the time. You should have the fight in your heart to physically withstand blows and roll with somebody. Even if you're regularly losing, you should be able to give them a fight regularly. And at the same time, you need to be able to take your skills and do something with it. Either in teaching people what you know, or in fighting, or in taking the skills you develop in becoming a fighter and using those skills to make the world better around you, at your workplace or in, at home with your family. That's where the value of a martial artist comes in and separates them from a fighter. And again, fighters have their own thing. Some fighters would say, I'm not a martial artist, but I would consider them a martial artist. Uh, People say boxers are not martial artists. I consider boxers martial artists. Yeah, they, skip, they put a lot of study and skill in what they're doing. Yeah, man, it is an art. Uh, it's the sweet science, man. And so taking that term, I mean, be careful with how you listen to what I'm saying, but the martial artist 
should be different than someone who just goes out and swings and rolls and chokes people out. There is a huge difference. Value is what makes stand out from other people. Yeah. No, I mean, like, I think it's it's interesting how you say about. I, again, it's what you do with what you learned, right? I was watching a a video that was on the uh, Kajukembo Facebook page, and yeah. they shared a video. And you know, I'm realizing I'm horrible with names, and it makes me look like. I don't know what I'm talking about, and I really wish I remembered people's names more because, like, people are always doing this to me. Like, yesterday I met <laughs> – I'm going to do this again, right? I'm going to go into a story about how I saw a grandmaster of Kaja Kimball say a great quote. Long story uh, short, I'm, I'm going to edit this shit out because I, I know that was bad. But either way, when I was looking at the, um, at this, at the professor, he was saying that he was a doctor, and he was talking about how – a lot of people do Kajukembo and they want to become better fighters or better martial artists. And he felt that if he can't teach his students to be able to live a happy life outside of the dojo, then he didn't teach his students anything, in his opinion. That's a great quote. Like, that is awesome. That, that, that's, that's what he felt. And I wish I could remember who it was, but... <laughs> but either way <laughs> that, I think that's nah, man, I, I, I yeah I think that kind of summed up it summed up this concept that people have of how they place value on the fighting end and yes having value on the fighting end is really good but what I want to say the difference between just a coach uh, uh, not a good coach, the difference between like a life coach, I would say, and just a regular sports coach who's there to get you to a directed goal is that someone who sees themselves as, as a coach in and off the mat is looking at the people they teach and how they're going to help them outside, not just not just on the mat, but outside of the mat, how they're going to how they're going to help them. I know good wrestling coaches that when they're talking to their wrestlers, especially wrestling, right, because wrestling doesn't have a lot of money. So it, they, yeah. they push these kids all, all high school, all throughout high school to win, win, win. And then at the end of it, they say, hey, okay, it's time to go to college. And it's time to get good scores so you can get into a good school. And the wrestlers are like, well, what are we talking about? Like, well, yeah, wrestling's great and all, but like you need to get a, you know, <laughs> life is coming. More, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, everything outside of the ring, outside of the gym, outside of the dojo, that's where it's really going to matter. Uh, I, I hesitate when people talk about hobbies. I hesitate to consider Kajikembo a hobby to me because it's a life practice. You know, it's something much deeper. I would also make the comparison fighting and uh, martial arts. Teaching someone how to fight is like teaching someone how to use a gun. You know, and we can get into debate that another situation. But teaching martial arts. First off, should be teaching them how to use a gun, but then also teaching them gun safety and teaching them the history of guns and having some philosophy on why not to use guns until you reach a point where you can defend yourself with a gun if you need to, but you actually don't want to anymore, especially when you get older. That's the huge, uh, huge difference between martial arts and just teaching people how to hit and show people out. Yeah. 
I mean, that's, I mean, that's what I, that's what I would take out of it. <laughs> so like, yeah. I guess before we wrap things up, um, the main points that we were trying to cover today was this, this whole concept of value in martial arts. Does the money equal what you're supposed to pay? Or uh, another thing I wanted to mention was not just money, does the name, right? You have these really big name coaches right now in martial arts. And some people feel that they have to go to this big name coach because the value is with this big name coach. And I'm not trying to name anybody name. I'm just saying like, you know, maybe I, you can just grab your average popular martial arts instructor on YouTube who's got a million views on his stuff. And if people are crowding into his school to, to or his or her school to learn something from them. And they feel that that's where the value is because of uh, social capital, if you will. Um, so I guess as a closing statement, and this is something I asked my Sifu, but I, I mean, it's always good to get different instructors, uh, I guess, advice. Uh, what advice do you have for someone who's looking to get into martial arts and is trying to kind of, kind of balance all these questions out before they choose a place? I would say, I just uh, did an interview myself with one of, one of my friends, Mickey Lopez. He brought up a good point. Um, learn from everywhere. Don't, I mean, it, life is your dojo. You, you know, uh, learn from everyone, from everything you can. Don't just learn from one instructor. There's, despite whatever image you have, you don't have to stick with one teacher forever. Especially when you're just starting. Walk around, talk to different people, learn from different instructors. Uh, another one of my friends mentioned a good point that when you find some advice that works from somebody, you're going to use it. When you find another instructor give you that same advice, you start to see which instructors are good. And you start to see which instructors are not good. And then when you really connect with somebody, it's like becoming a family. You really feel a bond with the instructor. This guy is good. This guy or this lady, this woman is teaching you some good stuff. Then you really know who you want to be your instructor, who you will consider your teacher. You will naturally gravitate towards those people. Don't feel right away that you, your first instructor has to be your last instructor. Uh, learn. It's, there's no law that says you can't go Kaiju Kembo should be about one instructor and then you go out and learn from another instructor, learn from another, and then come back and bring it to your school and then go out and find another instructor. It's not so rigid. And don't, uh, that would be the advice is don't get stuck where you're at. Go out and learn what you can and don't feel you have to do things a certain way. Cool. That's some good advice. All right. Well, uh, if you're listening, that's the wrap-up music. So, uh, John, thanks for being on the show today. Uh, definitely thanks have to for having me. some more training. Uh, for my listeners, stay tuned for the wrap-up. Projects, projects, projects. Right now, I'm working on a new series called Jello's Laugh Lounge, where I do some comic bits that I've been working on. As some of you may know, I live out in the middle of nowhere, so as much as I would like to do stand-up, I don't have an audience that I'd be able to do that with, because I live in Japan, and there's... I mean, I'm in the rice field. I guess I could do stand-up in a rice field in English. No one would understand what I'm talking about. That's why I don't do it. I make these videos, I love making YouTube videos, it's fun, it's my hobby, 
I hope you enjoy it too. If you do, just hit subscribe on this channel and you'll have access to not just the Social Jello podcast, but you'll also have access to the Jello's Laugh Lounge that I recently created, as well as my Kaju Kembo series. Uh, if you're for some reason like me and you live in the middle of nowhere and you need something to kind of practice with, I actually share a lot of parts of my Kaju Kembo program right here on my YouTube channel. You can watch it and learn some basic stuff like how to stretch properly, and how to throw a punch and kick and line basics and stuff. Either way, I'll catch you all later. Thanks for tuning in and stay tuned till next time. Later.